You are listening to the Green Majority Bonus Show. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to our extra program. Uh, if you'd like to become a member because you like us so much, you can do that at greenmajority.ca or go straight to the source at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash greenmajority. You can become a member for as little as $1 a month if you just want to sort of leave us a tip and let us know that you support us. We really appreciate that as well. But if you could afford a little more and uh, want to do a little bit more to help uh, promote the show, you can do that as a recommended donation of 5 or $10, uh, whatever suits your budget and of course regardless of whether or not you're a member you can email us with questions comments and concerns always through the website of course at greenmajority.ca before uh, taking up any more of your time let's get straight to the bonus show bonus show So uh, we're doing the bonus show uh, right here, and uh, Stefan, uh, you uh, we were sort of carrying forward a topic from the from the main show, but you had a you had a thing you wanted to talk about, and we kind of bumped it. So we might come back to some show related stuff to wrap it up, but what, let's just get right into your thing. So what's your thing? Yeah. Uh, so so my thing is yeah. So I, I think I think I'll cover the 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 uh, Greenpeace lawsuit uh, next week. Uh, so instead, the 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 jump that I wanted to do from the show was this concept of I wanted to talk about slow food in part just because I I felt like you can't talk about food without uh, without opening up a hornet's nest of. Uh, of 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 differing uh, of, of of differing opinions of differing uh, understandings, you know. There's 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 so many pieces to food policy and to, and to how we understand and talk about food, and it's it, it even goes to like the, you know what is good for you, what's bad for you, like that that con- that constant critique of 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 what you hear about in, in the news of like, well, you know, suddenly broccoli is going to be bad for me, and then so I might as well do whatever. Um, and you know, and, and 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 you understand the number of conflicting things you're told that at some point it gets really confusing. Um, and, and that exists, I guess, also in this world of, um, of we're saying today with, with this, with, with in the world of what is environmentally friendly, uh, food policy, right? Cause you know, you'll hear things like, uh, actually organic per organics per, per, uh, per quantum of, 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 or per calorie say actually end up often having higher, um, uh, GHG emissions, uh, than than non organic, um, and and that a lot of that comes from the fact that organic is more often smaller smaller scale, uh, and so they can grow less uh, on their plot of land, uh, but also at the same time, or, or but also at the same time, they're also usually being driven places, right? So instead of being packed into massive cargo vans that can be driven across across the country, uh, they're driven by individuals, and so the carbon intensity of being driven by the individual to somewhere is actually higher than uh, than the uh, than the than the, the the transatlantic shipping container that you can put stuff in that if it's been treated with enough stuff to survive and stay yellow because you know God forbid we eat a slightly brown banana, um and, and so and and, so there's, and there's so many little elements to it that you get all this misinformation so I feel like you almost as soon as you try to advocate for one kind of, of food policy, uh you get there's an uproar of 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 of, of well it's not as good in these other ways. And and oh, I, that's onerously ne- on the other side. That's onerously negative for me for whatever reason. Exactly, my personal choice or my business or my whatever. It, it, but it, but it's anything, right? It, or or like you know, or like it's it, and the answer is of course always yes. It's dramatically more nuanced than that. Um, and 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 so and and especially especially this one, like the one about there's so many. And so I just wanted to, I basically wanted to briefly just chat about all the different nuances that exist within food policy, right? Um, you know, whether it is the fact that 
these yes is that food miles are as a concept is kind of dumb um and and i know that's sacrilege like i know saying that's sacrilege and and because it's it's interestingly food miles is a fantastic marketing fantastic marketing for local food but local food is important not because of the reasons that are usually given for local food like and, and it's this kind of thing right it's like why why is local food important in in my view uh i think it's important because it provides um it it, it, it a it it provides food sustainability uh in that in that you know if you're if we're if, if you're toronto um you need local food because if suddenly for some reason exports into toronto can't happen for a week we don't die uh which is valuable like it, it makes the food system more uh resilient I have an I have an idea to yeah. to interject. I'm sorry, um, but I was wondering if, and maybe it better applies to the food system that it does as a sort of like system wide. But I wonder if resiliency is not almost a better term to, than sustainability, in so as far as that it's more it, it's clearer what we mean. Mm. Right. So resiliency has to do with the fact like redundancy and backups and checks. Right. So resiliency would be uh, we even if oil is possible, um, you know, maybe it makes sense in some areas, but there's some dangerous consequences. So we're going to create resiliency by not depending on it as quickly as possible and by diversifying our energy. And maybe that means keeping some oil for quite some time, but it also means not having, not ever being entirely on just oil or just solar, even for that reason, it means diversify your, your, uh, your thing. This way, same way people advise you diversify your, your stock portfolio. And that I don't, not necessarily it's better isn't that it's more accurate, but I think it's maybe it's easier to grasp what the true purpose is. Well, I, so I think, so I think there's two things. I think, I think, I think you're right. The resiliency is incredibly important. I think, and I think resiliency is, is brought up in, and you see it when you see throughout the sustainability pieces, um, you know, and, 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 and both in micro and, and in macro, um, I think that I, I don't think it's actually what a lot of people actually talk about. I don't think people fully. I think more often than not, people who are who are talking about this are also not fully informed. Uh, and so and so take the easiest way to explain why they think it's good and get out there. I think a lot of people vehemently believe that food miles and, and carbon related to food miles is 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 incredibly important and they'll and they'll point to the amount of uh the amount of of ghg emissions that are used by the food industry to drive stuff around everywhere Uh, and they'll point to that as 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 proof that food miles count why before we get any farther down Mm -hmm. that track Stefan, you should let people know why that's not a good thing or uh, right i have an idea but maybe you have more yeah 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 no yeah i i I wanted i wanted to at least get to that so people don't think i'm just trashy food miles in a reason the reason (laughs) why the reason why food miles in particular specifically don't don't matter from a carbon perspective. And again, the local food is important. Local food is very important for many different reasons. Um, but it is, it is not important. It is, it is, it is a, it is a fallacy to believe it is, is a carbon win because what you're doing is you're taking a whole bunch of like a whole bunch of food that's being, tra- that's being traveled around the world and, and not realizing that again, a, if, if, if you get food from close to you, it was driven by an individual person in a in a non in a, in a, still in a car, um, and and that and that's in the, in the amount of calorie in the amount of CO two burn to get that food to you is actually probably statistically slightly higher than the than the food that is being driven across the planet across the planet because they're driving so much more food, right? There's just it's it's a it's a it's a if it's a straight numbers game you're playing you don't win. 
you, yeah. you win sometimes, but you don't win always. And the, and the other thing that I think many people probably know, but let's mention anyway, just for the sake of, of being careful, mm. is that the, is the other thing is that, you know, like all foods aren't created equal, right? So a strawberry grown in Guatemala might actually be more carbon neutral than a strawberry grown in uh, Montana. Mm. Uh, depending on what went into the food, maybe, or a strawberry versus a banana, like what the food is, how it was grown, what pesticides were used. Those are all factors. The truck driving it is only one of those variables. Yeah, exactly. And where it is grown too. You know, like if you're, if you are, have a, if you have a diesel powered greenhouse in your backyard, you're having local food, but you are not helping climate. Right. Um, and, and so I, the reason why local food and the, so, so that is why that is why the carbon argument food, food for, for food miles does not really hold a lot of, of weight for me. But that does not mean that local food is not important. And that's what frustrates me. With the conversation is more often than not. That's the argument you get going back and forth is food miles save carbon. No, they don't. Uh, and both sides go away thinking they're right. And, and and yet we're neither side are in having a, the in com- a way they're both right. Well, exactly, but but neither <laughs> are having the actual conversation that's important, and that's the frustrating part, right? Because like because why like all of the benefits of local food, whether it is connecting, uh, it, it, whether it's connecting uh, humans closer to actually seeing what their real food is like, whether it's reducing food waste because they're more likely to buy uh, quote unquote ugly food, or or ugly food won't be removed from the system because it's being brought to you directly by the farmer and not through all the ridiculous regulations that have to go through uh, through. Uh, Regulations by by either the government or by just convenient like stores that buy the food that won't won't buy them because they can't sell them. Whether it's you're actually whether it's because you are um, uh, local crops are more commonly actually in more fertile soil and and, and are more commonly uh, come from 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 better soil uh, or people at least who treat soil better. Uh, whether it is the fact that uh, local food encourages self sufficiency to some extent, which reduces your general impact on on the world itself. There are hundreds of reasons to support <coughs> local food, but more often than not, we get tied up in this carbon counting conversation, which isn't necessarily the most. Imp- which isn't necessarily the most important one, um, at least not in this particular instance. Like, yes, it is. It dip, it would be diff, like it wouldn't necessarily. Be, if you created a system in which local food was more common, uh, in all the different ways it exists. Um, you know, for example, like people are also will come out against arguments aquaponics and stuff like that because it's so energy intensive. And again, that's true. It is more energy intensive. At the same time, if that energy is coming from renewable energies, you are still getting the benefits of local food. That's important. And so there's all these little nuances that, 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 that don't get talked about when people talk about the concept of local food because of the fact that they – because, they, they, the only, because what, what is salient, I guess, to the, the consumer is this concept of c- climate change. And we spent the last 30 years trying to get climate change to be salient to the consumer. And now, it, because, it is, because it is, we're getting all these weird, not actually right things. Um, and, and there's a whole bunch of right problems with the industrial food complex. Like, that's not, like, I, I could talk about that forever. Um, and, and, and this is no way saying that just buying all your, all your, all your stuff from, from, from grocery stores that are being shipped everywhere is, is carbonly the same. Because there's a whole bunch of other, other problems that are not calculated or understood in that system. And it comes back to this resiliency piece. So to tie back to what you mentioned uh, very briefly in a micro scale of resiliency, um, it's not just that having local food makes a uh, makes makes the makes the its its area more resilient to to difficulty. It's also that 
local food is more is is more commonly going to be made in a way that is you know with that, with crop rotation and other stuff that that actually encourages the farm itself to be more resilient because more common most commonly the the food that's being shipped across 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 continents is food that is built that is that is that is brought up in the most the highest possible yield creations possible and these incredibly high yield crops the way you get them incredibly high yield is you sacrifice resiliency you you need perfect conditions which is why they pump them full of uh, you pump it full of uh, of 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 different um fertilizers and 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 that makes the, the crops themselves are also less resilient and so this resiliency thing is a is a cross-cutting uh conversation uh within both food but also power uh, and a lot of other things and so i think yeah, there's, it's, there's there's just so much. So I think I, a few comments I compiled <laughs> while you were talking. So what, one of them was that I think um, when we're talking about you know putting a price on carbon, when it applies to food, I think we have a really unique opportunity to to do something. So here's my quick proposal. You know, I haven't thought it through more than a couple of minutes, but mm. uh, basically while you were talking. So if someone f- figures out a flaw with this, let me know. But I'm not too concerned about it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it seems like an amazing opportunity. So as you, as we said, there's a num- there's a variety of factors that follow into how uh, in how sustainable or carbon neutral or wh- whatever it is you want to measure, food is right. And so we already have nutritional information that's highly regulated on food. I think if you had a pricing system, uh, had a scoring system that was very simple. You could have a you know a government website that outlined all the details about how these metrics were done. But then on packaging, you would just add a simple label, and it would be uh, uh, carbon intensity score. And what you would do is you would do this, and it's not only customer consumer information. So you'd put this on the product so people could see, ah, this is a very low, naturally low carbon food, but it's being, you know, but it's not necessarily carbon because it's being shipped from wherever, right? So you would have all those variables. So you would say, uh, 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 growing purpose, you know, whatever the categories would be, some smarter people than me would come up with it, but it would be like, you know, grow- growing practices, uh, distance to outlet approximate, of course, cause they have to ship this all over the country or, you know, wherever it is, or maybe they have provincial codes or something like that. Uh, but some information about all these categories, right. And then you, you, so it's like, you know, five out of five for, for growing, uh, because it's naturally carbon low, but, you know, they added a bunch of pesticides to it and then it was flown 500 million miles. So it would have a, a zero score for distance, like the carbon of the distance was high or low because then it would take into account, was it flown by, you know, solar powered seaplane or was it, you know, driven by diesel truck mm-hmm. 400 miles. So it would take that and give it just a simple score out of five. Uh, and you do all those things and then you use those numbers. Those numbers are the thing that calculate the total carbon intensity score and that that number directly relates to the carbon tax. So that does a few things. One is it shows people here is specifically why you're being charged more for this product so that it's not so that the impact on the consumer at the grocery store is not just saying, Hey, you just raised the price of my corn. It's, Oh, the price on this corn went up because it turns out this is a horrendous food. And if I just buy this other kind of corn, it's $2 cheaper. And I understand why. I think that would do an immense amount to change people's habits. Uh, and I think it would make it far easier to stick to their guns about carbon pricing and about the t- about getting people to accept the increases in price on certain items uh, or many items uh, that are naturally going to, to happen. Uh, that's sort of my wrap-up comment about mm. that. My, my 2,000 feet comment, which is where I'm hoping uh, you'll want to sort of take this with me a little bit because I'd like to know your thoughts on this, is – 
uh, in that sort of resiliency versus sustainability argument, how that would work from a policy point of view, theoretically, would be is that so the, if for our non-Canadian listeners or for our young Canadian listeners or for our old Canadian listeners that don't have any interest in politics and didn't know this, uh, the cities in Canada are creatures, uh, the term referred to in policy journals and, and in school is, is that cities are creatures of the provinces. And what that means is that essentially cities don't actually exist, legally speaking, <laughs> and that they're fictions maintained by the province that they exist in uh, for the purposes of administration. They're sort of deputized, but they can also be eliminated. So technically, uh, uh, the Catherine Wynne could just legally eliminate Toronto. All the people would still live here, but the status as a city could be removed. Now, she's not going to do that, but mm-hmm. that's how legally how our system is set up. So the province could outline and say, we're going to create some, not sustainability standards, but some resiliency standards. And this has to do with disaster management. This has to do with planning. And what you would do, for instance, is, is as you say, so say if there was a, a famine on a certain type of food, um, and and this affected our imports, and, and it was quite severe. This prevented people from being able to eat. So we were going to say, okay, we're going to create some resiliency standards where, you know, like you might say in a pre-war thing, say, okay, you know, the war might break out. We're going to keep, you know, we recommend that all our citizens keep two months of food on hand. And you kind of take that idea. And you say that Toronto, uh, you know, the, the province of Ontario now is going to produce, uh, province-wide, is going to produce uh, by law. You know, something like 30% of the food required to feed our population. So a number much higher than it is now, but not all of it, right? Uh, some sort of stepped number. And the idea being is that this is for the purposes of ensuring food access and ensuring food security in a climate insecure future. Well, we don't know what's going to happen to global food production, and we're going to do our best to not have to import it should we be necessary. So that if there was something wrong and, and there was a, a huge drop off of food, a massive crop got wiped out, global famine, um, that we would at least, you know, be able to prevent our own citizens from starving and then what you would do is you would use that and and combine it with the carbon policy to okay where do these two things intersect okay well now we've just had this policy essentially designed for us by meeting the place where the carbon policy meets the resiliency policy great well now we've just this the all a whole bunch of other policies have now just sort of like emer- become an emergent property of these two policies intersecting uh, because we now have these extremely general but legally binding guidelines on you know uh, food production so okay so well no you can't have that land permit because this will affect uh, uh, the province's uh, ability to feed itself under our new revil- uh, resiliency legislation. Um, so no, this isn't up to the OMDB, OMDB unless you can you know, purchase uh, and replace farmland elsewhere that's of equal or approximately equal growing value, right? And so like all these things, so yeah, it would get a little bit technical, but it would also all be like, there would be a rule in place for a lot of this. And it would automate a lot of this by just saying, here's two overarching ethoses. We want to be resilient. We need to have resilient planning. And we need to be resilient within the frame of understanding that our, we're trying to brace for impact here of climate change. And that so that needs to be one of the major impacts into what we mean by resiliency. And then this could also apply to other areas, right? Like you could uh, you could apply this to the job market. You could you could use this argument to apply itself to minimum incomes, right? And saying that there we need a certain amount of job security in in this province because uh, the amount of money we invest in unemployment and all these like you know paying for people to live on the street because they still end up in ER rooms and we end up feeding them and all these other things is that it's really just cheaper to do this from the government side. And and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it on this new resiliency policy that's different from our sustainability or our climate change mitigation policy policy to help clarify how some of that stuff should be worked out, right? It provides a frame rate. Now, 
uh, as much as some people who don't do policy may not realize, I'm not actually qualified to propose any of this legislation. I just read a lot about it. Um, so I, I don't know how viable any of those ideas are really outside of conceptually. Um, but assuming it's potentially viable, uh, maybe just spend the last few minutes uh, either disagreeing with me, Stefan, mm-hmm. or adding to that or just provide your thoughts on that sort of meta. The idea of resiliency as public policy as opposed to and distinct from climate policy or sustainability policy. Yeah, well, I, I think I, I, what's interesting about the concept of resiliency policy um, or or adaptation policy, uh, which might be might, might be more known as, um, is is the reluctance that exists within the environmental movement to talk about it because we're because we don't want to get there. We like the, the 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 it's it's so difficult to talk about it uh, because of the fact that we. Uh, because it implies that we're not going to do anything. Um, and, and so whenever you talk about res- this, this sort of adaptation policy, there's always this concern that the, that the end of the conversation is, oh, so if we have these adaptation policies, we don't need mitigation strategies uh, or, or, reduction, or carbon reduction strategies because we're going we're to mitigate. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be resilient anyways. Um, and so it's, it's – it's an interest, and yet still, slowly but surely, I think we are seeing some of these policies. Slowly but surely, we are seeing them being these climate change mitigation, be, or climate change adapt, adaptation being added to to government policy. Which is just really quickly why I like the language of resiliency rather than adaptation, mm. because it implies that this isn't in response to a specific thing. This is just generally good governance, and right. we're gonna we're gonna in, we're gonna enshrine it now, and that this new thing of climate change should be fed into it. Mm. So it's sort of it's not an it's not meant to be a thing in response to climate change. It's like we should have been doing this all around. In fact, in theory it's what governments are supposed to do but now in 2017 we have access to so much more information that we can really automate a lot of these processes we don't need people sitting down and and picking things you know a number will calculate the most efficient dollar value to put a carbon tax in if you tell it this is where we're at and this is where we need to go right so i i feel like there's some things that could be automated here and that and that really if it comes down well i don't like that well you're you're just wrong because we calculated this based on numbers go ahead try and come up with better numbers yeah well i i think the end the end the perhaps the through line of this entire conversation um is is this is the ongoing tension uh between resiliency and efficiency uh you know we are we are we're sitting in a we have created a world uh <laughs> i'm doing we, a storytelling thing. yes thank you uh we, we we've created a world in which um uh in which the we've mac we're, we're maximizing efficiency uh, and every step we take towards maximizing efficiency, to some extent, in off, well, I don't mean every step, but a vast majority of the movement towards efficiency reduces resiliency. Uh, you see this in in, in crops, uh, all the way up to your suggestion right there. Resiliency ta- resiliency goal of thirty percent. The the re- the reaction or the response to that would likely be that you're it that would raise the cost of food um, uh, because it is more expensive to grow things. Lo- it, it, they're more expensive to grow some things uh, locally uh, than, than not, uh, which I think leads to the last piece of, of this puzzle, which to me always ends up being uh, the, the, sort of, the sort of central piece to tie back to the very bit, to, 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 to other parts of the conversation we've been having is the – you can't just make things more expensive. Uh, the pol- resiliency policy or anything of this nature would, I think, have to do two things. 
A, I think it's it's obviously smart to expect that systems will get disrupted as climate change expands and and and, and continues to have worse and worse impacts. And so we should expect more and more systems to be to be disrupted. So we should we desperately need more more and more resilient systems. Um, but to mitigate the to mitigate the costs that that those, those that resiliency will require, or or to mitigate the 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 loss of efficiency, um, is is that um, is, 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 is an equal necessary to support ways in which you can have more resilient worlds uh, in that actually reduce costs. Uh, so the a big part of a government plan to say increase resiliency better be encouraging and supporting and funding community gardens uh, because people are going to still need food uh, and they need affordable food and so if your solution to your resiliency is to just sort of you know is to just let costs increase rather than have a let me go back to sustainable 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 uh, people wise um, is is incredibly important. Uh, and so that's the thing where 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 I where I'd end off is this concept of you know you can look at resiliency as uh, as 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 many things and it exists in many different ways uh, and and it is often a trade off on efficiency uh, but there are but there are a lot of way there are a lot of ways that our society is being inefficient and currently and those ways are are the 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 ways our society currently is not being efficient is the ways that are not monetizable. Mm. Uh, you know, we're not, we are not efficiently using all of our lawns. No, we have so much lawn space. We are not officially use, not, not, we're not efficiently using because no one has found a way to monetize, uh, those lawn space, that lawn space as anything. Um, and, and so I think we're going to have to find efficiencies in other places to match the efficiencies we're losing from the, from resiliency work, uh, as a way to balance this out. And and it, it, it's it's going to be a wider conversation, uh, but that's the that's the world we live in. Also, please don't get mad at me with the food miles thing I said forever ago. Um, <laughs> if if I'm wrong, please send me send me links. Yeah, all complaints to the show in general can be sent oh, to at stayho underscore. <laughs> right. Okay, so my my quick wrap up uh, comment was really just uh, while I mean while we were talking, I thought of this right, which is Stefan. Uh, anyone who reads the news has been aware. Uh, of the fact that you know the banks have been accused of a lot of shady business over the last few years, uh, a lot of American banks during the the, the recent uh, you know the bailout fiasco and a lot of criminal activity. Nobody goes to jail. Uh, anyone who's been paying attention should be mad at the banks, um, mm. and and should be and this should be ongoing. I mean, it's there's a lot of behavior that banks do that that really just rip people off, and they have an undue amount of power because of the type of industry that they're in. Um, and there's a lot of problems with banks. And one of the problems with banks is that people have been uh, complaining about over the last number of years that that in some way, in addition to the dividends trading, we're not going to get heavy into math here, don't worry, uh, or even banking policy, but. Um, the there's a there's a simple concept so even in this like highly uh, problematic industry with lots of problematic regulations one of the one of the things that's changed is there's this amount i don't remember what the banking technical term is but there's this reserve limit where if they get $100 they're allowed to lend out $90 but they have to keep $10 on actual hand right so they they're allowed to they essentially generate money on the idea that they're good for it right so if you give them $100 they can lend $90 to three different people off that $100 uh, as long as they keep $15 or 10% and there's something like that i'm not going to we don't need to dig into the weeds here but there's an amount that even in this highly problematic industry that there's a certain amount that they have to keep on hand and and that even banks agree this is a good idea even though we disagree some of us on 
how much that amount should be for a stable banking system. It's agreed that there's a certain amount that, that yes, any reasonable person agrees that there has to be some amount kept on hand. We just disagree on how much that is. But when it comes to things like other areas, areas that we generally agree are less problematic, we don't do this, right? There's no such thing as, and this is essentially what I'm, what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that there should be a reserve on our own resources, right? There should be a certain amount of oil that we just like, you know what, let's keep that just in case there's a war and we need oil for our tanks. We don't have solar tanks yet. With our food, we Hello, should- Solar tanks. I know, right? <laughs> there, I, there, somebody just made a game right now uh, based on that. Um, copyright me, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, but, or, um, I mean, the, in almost every other area of our life, we understand in a financial situation that this is normal. This is normal practice, that you don't, everything shouldn't be for sale. You know, if you work in a furniture store, the desk that you, your front desk isn't for sale because you need a minimum amount of stuff, right? You're not going to sell your last floor model if you think you can sell three more orders off that floor model. I worked at a furniture store for a while, right? So we'd have to ask permission to sell the floor model because if it's a very popular couch, they know that they're going to make a lot more money off the orders they'll get by using that couch as a demo than they will as, right? So this is this is a very common understanding. You don't, everything shouldn't be for sale. But when we're talking about it at a societal level, apparently everything is for sale. And I'm simply proposing that we that we place a similar limit that we have on 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 banks on other areas. Like a certain amount of our resources should simply be off limits for us, just in case we need them. Uh, and I think as far as this conversation, that applies to food. We should be we should be producing enough food that if we, if we were in a pinch, if somebody called in all those loans right at the last minute, we got surprised that we're not caught with our with our with no food and uh, and with our pants down. Uh, Stefan, we uh, I, every week I've been putting a. Uh, a bad language warning on the bonus show because we occasionally swear. Mm. Um, but it also means now that I feel somewhat of an obligation to swear if we do, because <laughs> otherwise people, you know, there might be people who aren't listening who could, you know, just cause I don't remember ever if we swear or not. So I always mark it. The, the, the bonus show is explicit, even though the regular show is always clean because it goes to the radio and we haven't done it yet. So for mm. close out, we're at, um, we're just closing up to exactly 30 minutes here. I give you the honor uh, for this week's cursing. Uh, shit's fucked. So we might as well do something else. There you go. You heard it here first. Take care, folks. (laughs) 